This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching for me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 108, and I am interviewing Dawn Sarah, sex educator, speaker, and writer, all about sex, desire, and pleasure, including the influence of diet culture on our sexual empowerment, the myths of desirability, and how to connect with pleasure. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinanin.com forward slash 108. Before we begin, if you haven't already done so, please take a minute to subscribe to this show via iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast. And if you haven't already done so, take a minute to leave a review like this one from Weird Life. Listen to this podcast now. I absolutely love this podcast. It is by far my favorite of all the podcasts I listen to, which is a lot. Summer Inanin's voice is so refreshing in a world of bloggers and podcasters telling us what, how, and when to eat to get svelte and healthy. In the short time since I started listening to this podcast, I've already made progress towards an improved body image and a healthier relationship with food. Fearless Rebel Radio is truly empowering, and I don't care if that sounds cheesy. So thank you, Summer, for putting your voice out there. It is much needed. Thank you so much, Weird Life. I love your handle, and that review meant so much to me. You can do that by heading to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click Ratings and Reviews, and click to leave a review or give it a rating. Second, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. And if you haven't heard the news, Fearless Rebel Radio is now on Spotify as well. So you can subscribe on there in addition to the other podcast platform that you use. Use because if you're like me, you love Spotify. Today's guest is Don Sarah. Sex is a social skill. Don Sarah speaks it, writes it, teaches it, and she helps you learn how to develop it. She is the creator and host of the weekly podcast Sex Gets Real and of the online sexuality and body acceptance summit Explore More. She also lectures at colleges and universities on sex and relationships and works one-on-one -on -one with clients who need to get unstuck around their pleasure and desire. Don's approach to sex is intersectional inclusive and justice-based. It's not all work, though. In her downtime, Dawn can be found watching an episode of MasterChef Australia, cooking up something delicious, or adventuring with her husband. I think you're going to love this episode. 
the relationship we have with sex and our bodies are inexplicably intertwined. And I think that you are going to get a lot out of this to get some more pleasure and advocate for yourself in your life. Hi, Dawn. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really pumped to have you here. I was saying I was I'm just really fired up. I have like a whole flurry of questions and I'm sure we won't get to all of them, but we'll we'll get to a lot of different stuff. So before we start, I'd love for you to tell everyone just how you got into this line of work. Uh, yeah. So I grew up in a household where we talked about sex all the time. Hmm. And it was, I was, I knew from an early age that I was different from my friends in that way because I had, I had some kinds of information that they didn't have. I, I won't say it was great information, but I had at least access to conversations. And so I was kind of always the person that my friends came to when they needed help or when they were confused about something. And I was the one person in high school who wasn't like afraid to go buy tampons or condoms because my mom had just talked to me about it for so long. And so it's just always kind of been my jam, my place. And I didn't know you could like have a life doing this kind of work. And so I actually was in IT in corporate America for 17 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, in the early 2000s, I started doing those in-home sex toy parties. Okay. And that was when I really started realizing that everyone has shame and or everyone feels broken in some way. And I met with like, I don't know, thousands of women over the course of a couple of years doing this work and, you know, realizing that like the thing people needed most was a place to just get some permission and some reassurance that it was okay that their body looked a certain way or behaved a certain way. And that just kind of lit a fire in me. And so... I gradually started going to conferences and taking classes and getting certifications. And, you know, I've been doing this full time now for about four years. And, you know, over the course of that, have had my own journey with sexual assault and trauma and living in a fat body. And so just being able to kind of pull together all of these threads into a singular place where I get to have these juicy conversations has kind of become my world. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, it's it's so needed. It, it really is because it's like one of those topics that is still so, I don't know, just charged with like taboo, taboo and shame. And it's like, something our body does like it's one of the most natural things to want sex to desire sex to have sex and it's and it's still just in this day and age like I don't know it's just behind closed door conversation type of thing well yeah and I think like one of the things that makes it so hard is most of us aren't raised being told that like our body is fundamentally our own mm -hmm. and that we get to enjoy it and explore it and savor it and listen to it and set boundaries for it. You know, like that, that our body is this relationship that we have to cultivate and practice. Like we don't get told that. And so we all just kind of stumble into spaces where we're kind of like hands on learning and kind of picking up stuff from Cosmo or from Sex in the City. And, and, you know, of course, like everything in, in media and pop culture is based on, totally shitty myths. And so like, we're all kind of 
pretending like we know what we're doing and hopefully some of us are having fun, but like ultimately there's a point in all of our journeys where we're like, holy crap, my body's changed or it doesn't perform the way that it used to, or I'm on a new medication and I can't do X, Y, Z anymore. Or my partner likes X, Y, Z, you know, it's like, I just encounter thousands and thousands of people through the work that I do who reach this point where they're like, holy crap, I don't have the tools and the skills that I need. And I feel terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned just the stuff we learn from pop culture and, you know, in the work that I always do in, in the work I do, we're always unpacking, you know, the harmful narratives that we've learned about bodies and health and what it means to be a woman. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, what do you feel are the most harmful narratives that we learn that influence our relationship with sex? I think pretty much everything comes from a culture that teaches us the answers are outside of ourselves. Okay. So if we have to hinge our desirability on what other people think, if we have to measure our success based on other people's stories of success, if we have to achieve goals that other people have told us are the marker for quote unquote good sex, then we're constantly losing and we're constantly comparing And I think everything that we have and literally like I've started a list of sex myths that I've encountered and it's at like, I don't know, 150 at this point. Wow. And like they almost all of them come from a place of having no idea how to just have a conversation with your body and to learn to trust it and that it doesn't matter if your orgasm or your desire or your genitals look like anyone else's, if it works for you, that's the end. Mm -hmm. That's such a bold statement that you came in there with, like a culture that teaches us that everything is outside of ourselves because it's that's across everything. That's yeah, like it's not just, you know, related to sex, but everything like I I need to like let that sink in for a while because it's just (laughs) so true. Wow, that's a really big statement. Yeah, I think that's actually what started to kind of radicalize and politicize my approach to sex over the past couple of years was I just kept meeting people like the people who were coming to me were people who had worked with other experts and then ultimately felt worse or still broken and confused. And I I just kind of started realizing, like, we can't be prescribing experiences to people because we will never ever live in their bodies and experience their sensations and their needs. And that's what so much just education in our world is, is prescribing experiences to others. And that's when I started realizing, like, I get the same message about the fact that, like, I have to love myself before anyone will love me or that I have to love my body. And that's like the end all be all goal. And it's just like I started realizing, like, all these messages I have about my relationships, about my relationship with my body, with, you know, the way that I move through life with success, with money. It's all these people telling me what my experience should be. And I have no idea how to find out for myself what I need and what my story is. And so it just kind of like fit all the pieces of the puzzle together in this great big, like, yes, I talk about sex, but what I'm also ultimately talking about is all of the pieces of culture that are keeping us all feeling disconnected and broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it parallels so closely with, you know, the work that I do in, as it relates to having people 
stop participating in diet culture and starting to accept who they are and know who they are. Because I think we don't know who they are. And that actually ties to what you said about the fact that we're prescribing experiences to others. And, right. you know, we're trying to be who we think we should be. And that's where we run into further feelings of inferiority across all different aspects of our lives. Yeah, I encounter this one a lot around the two biggest issues that people come to me with are an issue around mismatched libidos in relationship. So someone feeling like they should want sex more because their partner does or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And then also like just shame around their orgasm experience or their pleasure experience. And, you know, one of the first things I ask people, and this, this is so confusing for people and sometimes upsetting. Like sometimes people leave when I when I ask the question, because they, it's not what they want, right? They want the quick fix, the magic bullet, the pill that they can take that fixes the thing. But if someone comes to me and they says like, I really need help because I, I just, I've never been able to have an orgasm in X, Y, Z situation. And my question is, why is orgasm so important to you? Yeah. Like really why? And if it's, well, because that's what you're supposed to do or because my partner thinks I should, or because I feel like I'm missing out on something or like my body's broken. Like all of those things come from a place of comparison and shame. There, none of those come from, well, I don't know. You know, it just seems like something that I'd like to try to get to someday. But if I don't, that's okay. What are all the other ways I can get to pleasure? You know, there, there's this very like there's this attachment to I need to achieve the thing because that's what everybody tells me equals good sex. Yeah, totally. And so what's your response to mismatched libidos? I'm curious. So that one's a little bit more complicated. And you have to kind of navigate where some of the feelings are coming from. Like we've got, oh my God, like just terrible people giving terrible advice, like, you know, Dr. Oz out in the world who say like, if you don't have sex three times a week at a minimum, then, you know, your relationship's doomed to fail. And so we have these cultural myths that to be in an intimate relationship where sex becomes less frequent is automatically a problem. For some people, it's just normal. Like, do you have time every single day to be having like, I don't know, 12 hours worth of sex the way that you do when you first meet someone? Probably not, especially if you have kids and a job and like all these other adventures that you want to go on. So like, I think there's just this natural ebb and flow that happens, but culturally we're taught it should be on all the time in all the ways. And if it's only happening once a month or a couple of times a year, something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I feel like the onus comes back to the woman to to resolve that too, instead of like the education around, you know, for, for men. And I know I'm looking at that through like a heteronormative perspective, but it's just, you know, when you think about it that way, that it's like the pressure is, is heavily on the woman to like figure this out. Like it's like she's got to catch up to him instead of some other, <laughs> some something else. Well, yeah. And I think that's one of the other things, right? Like I think one of the best books in the entire world is Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are. Mm. And it's a book fully based on science, but it's super readable and super approachable. She's one of the loveliest human beings on the face of the planet. But it talks about the actual brain science of libido. And so for many of us, we have what's called responsive desire. The types of desire that we see in Hollywood and in the movies is spontaneous desire. Very few of us 
have that all the time. Usually when we're brand new into a relationship, we have some spontaneous desire or if we're having hormone changes for one reason or another. But most of us get to a place where we have responsive desire, which is the analogy she uses is, you know how you're sitting around on like a Friday night and you've got like your stretchy pants on and you're like curled up under a blanket and your friends call and they're like, hey, there's this like amazing party and we totally want you to come. And you're like, the last thing that I want to do is like put on heels and put on makeup or whatever else your thing is, put on a suit and get dressed up and like go out. I'm super comfy. I'm here in my jammies with like a movie. And she said like responsive desire is if you manage to drag yourself out of the house and you manage to get to the party and then you show up and once you're there, you start having fun and then you end up at the end of the night being like, I'm so glad I went out. Yeah. That's responsive desire. Okay. You have to actually kind of do the motions and get to the party and then start having fun, which is you have to consciously choose to start of doing arousing, feel good, pleasurable things. And then your body starts to get turned on and want the sex. Yes. Okay. And so I know when we first chatted, you had mentioned the myths of desirability and that being something that you were really interested in. Is this kind of related to that? That's definitely one of them, right? Yeah. It's kind of this, this myth that like, if you just are with the right person, you're going to magically want the sex. And that's just not a reality for a lot of us. For some of us, it is like there's a smaller percentage of human beings who when they're super busy and they're super stressed, the way they relieve that stress is by getting super aroused and wanting sex. But for many of us, and of course, this goes up and down throughout our lives. For many of us, when we're super stressed and super busy, our libido is just like, F you. I have a lot of other things that I'm trying to deal with. And feeling sexy is so low on the list right now, it's not even a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. And so we have to consciously make decisions to get that desire going and to touch someone and to press our naked bodies against them and to see if maybe we do that for 15 or 20 minutes, we start to feel kind of like maybe we want to be at the party. Yeah. Okay. That makes so much sense. Yeah. That's awesome. And like some of the other desirability myths too, is just like who gets to be seen as sexy, who is sexual, you know, that everyone does have uh, interest in having sex. I mean, that's another myth. Certainly there's lots of asexual folks or people on the spectrum towards the asexuality side, but like, you know, telling people that if you put on weight or post baby body or whatever, you know, disabilities and older, and ugh, you know, like people want to have pleasure no matter what state their body is in. But our culture tells us only certain kinds of people deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And um, yeah, that kind of actually, if I, if I could kind of bounce back I, to something, I would love to know what you think what's the influence of diet culture on that? Like on sexual empowerment, sexual satisfaction, like how do those two things intersect in your mind? I have had a number of coaching clients and also people who write in to my show who feel like no one could ever possibly want them because Mm -hmm. they're fat or because they have stretch marks and they want to know how to you know, have XYZ 
kind of sexual relationship without ever having to show their body. And I get emails all the time from people who are like, my partner's body changed and I want to know how to get them to change their body back. And so I think like diet culture has such an intense tie to our sexual pleasure because basically everything that we're told is that one, it's your responsibility to be consumable by other human beings. And then that dis- that determines your desirability, right? So again, there's that external factor of like, I'm only hot if other people find me hot. Mm-hmm. And I think also kind of this weird stuff that we all have around our bodies of like, of course we have hair in places. And like, of course we have smells in places. And of course we're going to like have our bodies change and we're going to have a variety of illnesses. And, you know, like, of course our boobs look different than they did when we were 18 years old. And like, yeah, we get, you know, gray hairs sprouting in places. And we have kind of this like terror that if our bodies look a certain way, we're never going to be wanted in that hot erotic way. And so we try to find all these ways to hide ourselves and to diminish ourselves and to pretend like our bodies are something that they're not, or we go to extreme lengths and we undergo surgeries to try and make our bodies look a very specific way for other people. And like that is going to take a toll on how we feel when it comes to our pleasure and our bodies. And like, it's not that any one person is doing it wrong. It's that everything around us is telling us that we need to conform and shrink and use the creams and eat the foods and do a certain amount of exercise, whatever the things are, you know, otherwise the the sex and the intimacy and the erotic goes away, which we know isn't true, but we're terrified that it is. And so we behave from that terror. Yeah. So like, how do you overcome that terror? Because that's something that I encounter a lot with my clients. So they're so afraid that if their body changes, they're no longer going to be attractive or desirable to either somebody they're already with or somebody that may be in their life down the road. So I've been thinking a lot about just like the dynamics of attraction, like how, like, what even makes us attracted or attractive to another human? Like, do you, is there science on that? Do you know anything? Like, I'm so curious. <laughs> I know that there is science and there's some really interesting studies about the science of attraction and chemistry. But I'll say, I think a lot of the studies are based. Scientists and doctors are swimming, swimming in the same soups that we are. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. And so a lot of times the data that comes out to me is very flawed because they're asking questions from a place of being in the same crap that we're in. And so I don't always know that it's the best. What I do know is in my experience, the more diversity of bodies that I consume Mm -hmm. in my media diet, the more I find that diversity glorious. And also the more I've become forgiving of my own body and my fatness and size. And it's not easy, but it's deliberate. And it has had a huge impact. And I think like, when it comes to the attraction piece, I think it's a lot easier to kind of do that work and then meet someone. Because the body that you're in right now, like no matter what it looks like, when you meet people, 
they know what you look like. I don't care how flattering the clothes are that you're wearing. Like they know what size your body is before you get naked. So they're like opting into that, which blew my mind. The first time someone ever said like, they know you're fat before your clothes are off. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Like I was honestly shocked. So, you know, like they're opting in. It's a little bit different when you're with someone and you have been for a while and your body is changing. Like there's probably going to be feelings and you're probably going to have to ask for support around that. And I think that's kind of one of those messy, complicated places that people are terrified of because we don't have really good communication skills as a culture, but like we can navigate those things. It's just, we have to be willing to feel a little awkward and a little unsure kind of as we do it. But I firmly believe that we can change the ways that we feel about certain bodies by just allowing ourselves to see them. 100%. And I think the, but again, like the onus comes on us to do this for ourselves, but we need our partners to be on board doing the same thing. Yeah. And I think that that's where I see an opportunity is to encourage partners to also kind of be in that process to do that too. Yeah. And I think like, you know, one of the things that I find is really, really helpful for the couples that I work with is the more that we can be curious about each other, the more we maintain that sense of play. And that's where so much of that kind of light, fun, erotic, mysterious kind of energy comes from is from that place of curiosity and discovery. Like if you ultimately know, you'll never, ever know someone completely like they are their own person with their own thoughts and their own experiences, you know, that helps to kind of maintain that. And I think this is one of those places where when we're starting to kind of ask new questions and confront these places, we can invite our partners along for the journey and ask them the same questions we're asking ourselves and have really delicious conversations about, you know, how do you feel about your body and, and how has it changed from what you thought it would be when you were a kid to what it is now? And, you know, what are you scared of? And, What are the things that you still want to do when you haven't yet? I mean, if you can have those kinds of conversations, you're going to constantly be having these new, fresh perspectives to be connecting around. And like, that's a really powerful exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that seems like something that's so lacking, I think, just because there's, it's so vulnerable, but it doesn't, I don't think it needs to be. I think it, I, you know, I think there's this opportunity to like really deepen your intimacy in the relationship by having those conversations. I agree. And I, you know, like we're so hesitant to have actual conversations about sex. You know, we have like the little playful, like wink, wink conversations. And, and we have kind of our shorthand that we come up with, with people that we're in long-term relationships with. But, you know, one of the exercises that I encourage people to do all the time is like on a regular basis ask each other questions about like, what's the latest go-to fantasy for you? Or what was it like the first time that you touched yourself? Or what did your parents tell you about masturbation growing up? Or what's something that you've always wanted to try and we've never talked about? You know, it can feel really scary to have those things at first because it can bring up big feelings of shame in ourselves. But if you can get to a place where you're having those conversations and it feels the same as when you are trying to like pick a movie that you want to go to or talk about dinner, 
that's such an incredible place to be because now you're constantly being curious and learning new things and staying open to change. Cause I think that's something else we're terrified of. It's like the way we experience our bodies and the pleasure we have in our bodies in like our twenties and thirties is not the way we're going to experience it in our fifties and sixties. And you're still going to want pleasure in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? It just might look a little different or your body might do something different. And if you're able to stay curious about that, it becomes an adventure versus being terrified and trying to stay the way you were in your 20s. That just creates so many feelings of brokenness. And so like, how can you with a partner make that fun too? Because their body's changing and they have feelings. So how can we bake that in instead of it being a thing of like, oh, God, now my body feels broken. You're never going to want me. All these shame feelings. It's just it's not a fun place for us when we get to that place. Yeah. And I feel like hearing you say this, I feel like this would be such a catalyst to bolstering our own self-worth and, you know, sense of sense of self-love. This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by Superfit Hero. I am so excited to partner with Superfit Hero. When I asked you, my dear audience, which brands to reach out to, many of you mentioned them. Superfit Hero makes the best leggings on the planet. They were designed after four months of fit testing with athletes of different body sizes. Superfits don't slip, fall, roll, or pinch. They are squat-proof, sweat-proof, and have great big pockets. Best of all, they are size-inclusive, and they feature diverse models and body types on their website. So you can see how their stuff will fit on your actual body. I love their website. Superfit Hero, designed for confidence, made with love in Los Angeles. Go to superfithero.com and save 15% off your first order by entering the code SUMMER, that's S-U-M-M-E-R, at checkout. How important do you think sexual pleasure and advocating for our sexual pleasure is in terms of improving the way we feel about ourselves? One of the things that I encounter over and over again is, and I want to, you know, caveat this by saying we all have different experiences of our body, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't care if 999,999 people line up and I'll say they like, you know, this kind of vibrator and you're the one who doesn't like you're not wrong and you're not broken. You don't like the thing. Okay, fine. We move on. It's totally not a thing. Yeah. But (laughs) like... I hear from people all the time who want to know, can I experience sexual pleasure and really understand my body without having to actually like touch myself? And I find that such a fascinating question because there's not a lot of other areas in our lives where we would ask that same question of like, I'd really like to be a great chef and I want to be able to cook these really amazing meals, but I'm super afraid of knives and I don't really want to ever have to chop anything. Yeah. Like I can't go in the kitchen. (laughs) Right. And so like, of course we have feelings about our bodies and of course we've been told that our bodies are shameful or dirty or look weird. You know I mean? Like all of us are trying to navigate that to different degrees, but like when we can, really intimately understand our bodies. And I think one of the other myths is that like what turns us on, turns us on. Mm -hmm. Well, context is so important 
like you can tell me you find X, Y, Z super arousing, but I promise you I can find a situation where you don't. And conversely, you might say to me, I really don't find X, Y, Z arousing, but there might be a couple of situations you haven't encountered yet where all of a sudden that thing that you're kind of wrinkling your nose at seems really hot. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like the more we can touch our bodies and understand sensations and understand the ways that it feels in various states of arousal, the ways that we comfort ourselves, the ways that we, you know, arouse ourselves. These give us so many more tools to be able to work with because we also have these cultural myths that if someone loves us enough, we won't have to tell them what we want. Yes. Right. But that sets us all up for failure because then I get passive aggressive and angry because clearly you don't love me enough because you've had to ask the thing and I'm going to get really mad at you when you don't do the thing that I mentally thought you should know. And then the other person's going to feel like, wow, you're being an ag and you're being super passive aggressive and I have no idea why. And so like part of our power comes from not only understanding ourselves, but being able to communicate that with others and say, these touches feel the best in these situations. And I would really love to do these things with you. Or, oh, you know what would feel better? If we did this. That's still an invitation. And the reason that we're scared of doing that is because we're scared of being rejected or we're scared of being awkward. And then everybody loses. So I think a big part of our autonomy and sovereignty has to be with understanding our stories, our edges, our boundaries, our yeses, our nos, how things feel in an ever-changing body, which means we have to consistently go on that quest. It's not one and done. I masturbated as a teenager. Like, I got it. Well, you know what? It probably is going to feel different in your 30s and your 50s after you've been on this particular kind of med for a certain amount of time. You know, like, we are, we own these bodies, Let's become experts in them. Yeah, it's like we want other people to be the expert of our body. Yeah, because we're ashamed or we're afraid and we don't really have the skills to say it. So it's just kind of like highlighting again the ways that all of us are kind of set up to fail. Mm -hmm. We aren't raised being taught how to ask for things that we want and to say no for things that we don't want, right? We kind of have to like learn it, but only in certain ways and only to certain people and, you know, gender plays a role and class plays a role and certainly race. And I mean, like all these other things. And so it's super complicated. But when we can just in those little teeny ways practice, yeah, this would feel really good. I kind of want to try this thing. It feels really vulnerable. But after you do it a half a dozen times, it feels like, oh, well, I've done this before and it felt really good. So of course I'm going to do it again. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of this is tied to, you know, as like, especially as women, we learn that we're just there to provide pleasure for our partner. Like that, that's what we need to do. At least that's kind of my, like, that was a big kind of narrative that I had to sort of unpack. And I think that through that, we become completely disconnected with just yeah, ourselves, what we want, because it's like, I'm just here to please my partner. I'm here to please my partner. And I'm here to make sure that I say no, because we're also taught that we have to be the gatekeepers. 
that Mm -hmm. men only want one thing. And our job is to make sure that they don't get that from us until a certain number of things are kind of checked off the list. And I think like, we've also had this big kind of response to that with like the sex in the city thing and hookup culture. And I think it's kind of become almost now like a performance of like, well, I've had this much sex and I've been super chill and I've never talked to them again. And it becomes kind of this like performance to show how sexually liberated you are. I think that we should all be able to have as much or as little sex as we want with as many or as few people as we want. But I want to make sure that those things are coming from us, from a place where we feel like this is fulfilling or we feel like I've had a really crappy day. And you know what makes me feel better? Meeting a super hottie and doing this super sexy thing with them. Rad. I've made that choice. But I think so many of us are kind of stuck in these places where we're doing the things that we're told to do. And so then we, again, aren't really sure what it is that we want. And the sacred femininity and sacred masculinity stuff that we see in a lot of kind of like new age spaces is to me just as toxic Mm. as the gender roles that we were prescribed back in the 40s and 50s, right? It's once again, the feminine means receptacle, the taker, the holder, and the masculine means the doer, the inserter, the power. And we're just kind of replicating these patriarchal myths around like who does what to whom and how we're supposed to feel about it. Well, I'm a pretty complicated human being. And sometimes I want to receive and sometimes I want to give and sometimes I want to have all the power and the rage and I want that to be erotic and sometimes I want to be passive and like there's this great big complicated story that I have for myself no one can tell me my role simply because I was born with certain genitals or chromosomes is ultimately to sexually be a receptacle yeah wow that's so good um so I feel like we've unpacked a lot. And now I'm curious to know, for people listening who are, who maybe feel disconnected from their body, feel disconnected from what arouses them, what they desire, where can they start? Like, what can people do to start to explore this within themselves in terms of what gives them pleasure? So I think the first place we have to start is we kind of have this story that like, We go, 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 go through our lives. And then magically, mystically, we're in the bedroom wearing our negligee and we're supposed to be totally present in our bodies and surrendering to pleasure and like be these magical, mystical, ultra present, transcendent, erotic beings. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And like magical thinking. (laughs) Right. And like that's so much pressure. And you know, one of the biggest ways we can just start connecting with our pleasure and our bodies is to just do it in our everyday life. You know, when you're thinking about the food you want to eat, what would bring you delight? And how much of it would bring you delight? And the next time you're listening to music, if something's just like, eh, I don't really like this song, then think, what would you really like to hear? What would just make you feel like, oh, that's exactly what I wanted? What types of touch do you want with the people in your lives? Is it hugs? Is it hair caressing? Is it massages? What is it? And the more we can just kind of 
every day, understand what our pleasure is, understand what our body is, then when we get into these much higher stake situations, it becomes easier for us to say, oh, these are what my yeses feel like. These are what my noes feel like. Here's my edges. Here's where I'm willing to negotiate. And then I think also giving yourself permission to just like go on a journey, to find some sex educators, find some erotica, find some feminist pornographers who are creating content that feels really yummy. And the more of that you consume, the more you expand your erotic landscape. Like I like to think about our erotic mind as this vast landscape, but we have to actually travel to different places before we understand what's there. Mm -hmm. And so we can travel all these places and say, "Eh, I don't really like this. This really doesn't work for me. Here's a few of my favorite spots, but every once in a while, like popping over here, but we have to give ourselves permission to go on those journeys and to consume the material and to actually like prioritize that for ourselves. So again, it's that choice. So I think like just starting with the everyday and finding little moments to just like, what does my body really want? And then it becomes easier to do that when you're naked. And two, like, how are you learning and feeding and exploring and getting new ideas and new thoughts and new feelings? That all kind of comes together into this place where now you have lots of tools and lots of potential for having really, really yummy experiences. Yeah, you really but you have to be intentional with it, I think is like what you're saying is it's not yeah. just it, it's not just gonna like you're not gonna be laying there on the couch and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay, like <laughs> I'm feeling really like maybe you will, but right. oh, we have to kind of seek it out in in our cause I yeah, and so much of it I think is like, you know, imagination and creativity, but we have to that stuff kinda has to be like sparked in our minds, I feel, in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And like one of the things that like Anybody who's followed me for any amount of time is going to be like, yeah, yeah, we know. But like one, I just cannot stop saying it is like pay for your porn. You're going to need to be deliberate as a consumer. Just like when you're trying to think about your relationship with your body and with food and what foods you want to consume and what foods feel good and what movement feels good. It's the same with our erotic content. If we just go to those free tube sites and kind of poke around until we see something that's good enough that's not really being a very thoughtful consumer. But if we find people who are making content that we find really delicious or maybe political in a way that feels really good and we invest in that, that's one more way that we're feeding ourselves Mm -hmm. so that we can have all of that kind of in us and accessible for those days when we do decide we want to leave the house and go to the party and hopefully we'll have fun. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for sites that you that you like that you have recommended to clients before? Yeah. So Erica Lust is probably like the biggest one out there right now. She makes ethical, feminist, super hot content. It's pretty heteronormative. And most of the actors in her films are traditionally attractive. So most of them are cis. Most of them are thin. But the content itself is really thoughtful. And she has a website called eroticfilms.com. It's curated. Everything on that website are made by other ethical feminist filmmakers. And then if you want something that's a little more queer and a little more inclusive, lots of fat bodies, lots of people of color, lots of folks with disabilities, lots of folks like who are trans and intersex and just like all the things 
you'll want to check out Pink and White Productions by Shine Louise Houston, um, who also does the Crash Pad series. Everything they do is like top of the line ethical feminist stuff, but also ridiculously inclusive, super queer, every kind of body type you can imagine. So I think those will just get people like a good jumping off point. Oh, that's so helpful. That's, that's really helpful. I'm going to link to those in the show notes. That's really good. Because I think, yeah, but the traditional, eh, quote unquote, kind of just mainstream route is can be not <laughs> not not good. <laughs> and, and and yeah, like you're not paying, like you're you're essentially contributing to a practice that is really unfair for people, for individuals. Yeah. Well, I mean, like we're we're not showing up at a restaurant and demanding the chef feed us for free, but we feel like, oh, well, we want to see these people having sex and you know, clearly there was a film set and equipment and lights and people giving us access to their bodies, but we want that for free. So I really like just helping people realize, like, if we're going to be deliberate about what goes into our body, that includes our porn because that goes into and has an influence and an impact. So let's do that a little bit more consciously. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And uh, what are your thoughts on the website? OMG, yes. Oh, I think they're super fun. I actually was just talking with one of their creators at a sexuality conference that I went to. They have two seasons out, I think, right now. And their third season that they're about to start filming is actually going to include some trans and non-binary bodies. Okay. So I'm really excited about that, that it's going to become a lot more inclusive. But if people want to have an opportunity to just see lots of different styles of masturbating with vulvas and have an opportunity to kind of interact with the videos and even practice some of the strokes on a screen, I think that's a really fun resource. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. I haven't I haven't tried it out myself, but I've sent people there just because I've heard really good feedback. So I was curious to know. I think I saw you wearing a sweatshirt in one of your yes. <laughs> posts. So I thought maybe you were a fan. <laughs> they gave me a free shirt. So I thought, well, I should put this on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And do you feel like all this stuff, like when we really start to explore our pleasure is something that makes us feel more attractive? Like even not just like attractive is such a strange word because I think it always sort of means like in somebody else's eyes, but I believe that we can connect with like a sense of attractiveness within ourselves and desirability within ourselves. And do, do you feel like, well, first of all, do you agree with that or not? And, and two, like, do you feel like this is the path to kind of feel that way to like really em empower that feeling within yourself? I think that if having a sexual relationship with ourselves is important to us, and it's not for everybody, which mm -hmm. is great. Like, find your pleasure and your, your journey other places. It doesn't have to be sexual. But for those of us who do have that interest in just being really sexually connected, I think you are right that when we give ourselves permission to play in this space, we start to feel so much more connected to ourselves and to the potential. Like at this point in my life, I don't kind of wait for things to happen. Like I did in my early twenties, you know, I just kind of like, well, I hope something sexy happens or I'll wait to feel turned on to touch myself. And now I'm just kind of like, yeah, sometimes that happens, but sometimes I'll just like, look at my husband and be like, you know what? I want to flog you. How would that feel? And he'll be like, yes. 
and then we'll do it. And it's fun and silly. And sometimes it turns into something really sexy and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes I'll think, you know what? I haven't seen the new Four Chambers film yet. I'm going to watch it just so I can, you know, check it out and see what it's about. And sometimes that turns into a little sexual solo practice and sometimes it doesn't. But like, I feel so much more comfortable with that ebb and that flow and that nuance because I know I can cultivate it. I know how to tap into it and I don't have to just kind of passively wait for it to happen, which is, can be a really painful and uncomfortable place to be of like, maybe sometime I hope if I do the right thing or send the right text or ask the right question, maybe this thing will happen. I know I'm in charge of that. And so I have this very powerful relationship with when and how I want that to play out. And I think that that can be a really interesting journey to go on. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. This is this has been extremely helpful. I think it's going to like resonate with a lot of people. So I thank you so much for coming here. Where can people find more of you? So people can find me uh, at dawnsarah.com, which is where I do my coaching and people can also check out like workshops and stuff like that. I have a summit that is called explore more summit and it's at exploremoresummit.com. Every single spring, I have a great big 10 day 30 speaker summit. That's all around sexuality and relationships and emotional intelligence. And I am now doing smaller breakout editions of it. And the current breakout edition happens the first week of December. So if you hear this beforehand, join us. If you hear us after after that, you can still grab all the talks for about a dollar a talk. But this one is entirely on fat phobia, diet culture, body acceptance, self-love. And I'm going to be doing a smaller one next summer all about kink and BDSM. Uh, and then I have a weekly podcast, Sex Gets Real, and people can find me there and send anonymous questions in if they need help themselves. And that's at sexgetsreal.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was awesome. I'm going to link to all that in the show notes. And you're fantastic. Thank you again so much for being here. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. This like flew by. <laughs> I know. Rock on. There was so much good stuff in that episode. I have a feeling this is going to be one of the episodes that I end up sharing a lot when questions around sex and body image come up in my Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening today. You can find all the links that were mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 108. I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.